0: A couple years ago, I made a New Year's resolution sometime in December, planned it out. I was going to run a thousand miles the next year. I was going to run a thousand miles. That's about right. You can do the math three ish miles a day. I was going to run a thousand miles. You probably didn't know that I did that though, because (laughs) over the course of that year, uh, I had no weight loss. My mileage. Didn't my, my, my running time for my miles didn't improve at all. There was no improvement in my running, no improvement or, or modification in my, my body composition. I would tell people that I was running 1,000 miles or that I had, they would really? <laughs> I don't see you as a runner. <laughs> see, the, the problem I was experiencing there was I wanted to run, right? but there were some other things that I didn't want to do. The problem wasn't what I was doing. The problem was what I wasn't doing. That's where the problem was. What I wasn't doing. And so because of what I wasn't doing, I wasn't running well. Running is a central metaphor for the Christian life in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 famously says, Let us Christians, let us run the race marked out before us with perseverance. This is a, poor, a core metaphor for the Apostle Paul. It's how he thinks about his entire life and ministry. At the very end of it, in 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, he says, I have finished the race. The Christian life is like a race. Life with Jesus, life in Jesus is like a race. So, for the Apostle Paul, as he talks to the Galatians, as the, as the Spirit talks to us from the book to the Galatians, the question is not whether we're in a race, the question is: Are we running well? It's not a question of whether you're in the race; it's a question of whether you're running well. Look with me at Galatians chapter five, verses seven to ten. What does Paul say? How does he begin this section? He says here in Galatians five seven, he says, "You were running well. I want you to be running well. You were running well. What's the problem? Who hindered you? Who?" hindered you from obeying the truth? Who hindered you from living in, uh, attached to the truth of the gospel, attached to Jesus Christ and what He's done? Who hindered that? Somebody is keeping the Galatians from running well. He says, This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. Watch out here, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. They are being hindered. Who are they? What are they being hindered by? They're being hindered by leaven, right? They're being hindered by bread. They're eating too much bread. Why didn't I make any great changes that year? I ran a thousand miles. I was probably eating too much bread. <laughs> I, was, I was eating the whole lump. You know, a little leaven, leaven's the whole lump. I was eating the whole lump of dough. Why are they being hindered from running well? They're being hindered by people whose influence acts like leaven. This is really important to understanding what we're talking about this morning. Their influence in the the thought of the individual Galatians, their influence in the community of the Galatian church, acted like leaven. You know what leaven is? Is that a word that people use? Yeast? Natural? Sourdough starter? Right? How do you run well? Cut the carbs cut the carbs. Now, I'm not actually giving you any sort of health advice or training advice. This is just a metaphor for preaching purposes. But Paul says, if you want to run well, watch what's in your leaven. If you want to run well, cut the carbs, which is, which is helpful because the first and most fundamental act of discipleship is repentance. It's renunciation. It's turning away from some things so that you can turn toward other things. So we turn away from some things and some people and some influences and some voices so we can turn toward the influence and voice of Jesus Christ in our lives. What does it mean to run well? They were running well. What does it mean to run well? I think we have to go back to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 to kind of get Paul's simple vision for what running well in the Christian life means. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified together with Christ. Uh, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And here it is, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Running well means simply trusting Jesus. And the further we go in the race, trusting him more. Growing in that. Growing in grace. Growing in a knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Peter says. So you could say that the goal of our life in Christ is more Christ in our life. The goal of our life in Christ is more Christ in our life. That's kind of the big idea this morning. And the main point then of this passage is that For that to happen, you need to trust those guys and trust yourself less so that you trust Christ more. You've got to let go of these things. You've got to repent from them, renounce them, get rid of them, cut those carbs so you can run your race well. We see that that contrast between these two visions of the Christian life here at the very beginning of chapter 5. This is really the core problem that Paul is addressing here. Galatians 5, look with me at verse 2. Look how emphatic Paul is. He says, Look, I, Paul, have the Galatians forgotten who's writing? Chapter 5 in the book of. Look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, on the other hand, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. What Paul is saying is that if we accept here the situation of circumcision, but more broadly speaking, as he says back in chapter 2, if you accept working the law, working any kind of law, as a mark, as a sign that you now have a right relationship with God, then practically for you, practically your relationship with Jesus means nothing. You're not standing before God based on your attachment to Him. You're standing before God based on your doing this or that right. He says you've fallen from grace. You're no longer relying on grace. You're relying on your guides... And and your ability to work the law to be counted right. In verse six he says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Do you have any idea how astonishing that is? I mean that, that would if you had asked anyone in the Roman Empire, not just Jews, anyone, does circumcision matter? Jews especially would have said, this is a defining feature of who we are, a defining mark of our identity in this world. Even Romans and Gentiles, if you said, does circumcision matter? You would have said, absolutely. I mean, for those people and, and for our social life together with them, it's a huge deal. It would be akin to asking anybody here in America, saying, does, does being a Democrat or Republican matter? Right? It's a, fund, it's, a, it's a source of fundamental identity for so many people. So many people we know have their entire existence shaped by the values of those respective parties. We would all say, oh, it absolutely matters. Paul says, it absolutely doesn't. And you need to understand, circumcision is not just like a thing. It's in the Bible, right? It's a from the Bible thing. So these guys can quote chapter and verse to talk about the fact that circumcision matters. And Paul says, it doesn't count for anything. Does circumcision count? Paul says, absolutely not. And if you act like it does, the entire gospel is ruined for you. If you act like that matters, the gospel is ruined from you. Those words, you noticed those words, didn't you, as we read through this? You have fallen from grace. You are severed from Christ. Those are harsh words. I don't think Paul is saying that they have become now non-Christians, but he's saying that They're not following Christ. They're not living on the basis of their attachment to Him. That They've been severed from that attachment for the living of their life. They're not living by faith in the Son of God. They're living by faith in themselves, by faith in their guides, by faith in the instructions that other people are giving them. The Gospel message is functionally invalidated. It has become practically meaningless when we act as if we or anybody else needed anything else to stand before God righteous and blessed. On what basis do you stand in a right relationship with God? Well, I went to church. I've been to church a lot. I read my Bible a lot. I've been praying a lot. I've been being my doing my part to be a good citizen and be a good neighbor. Anything other than your attachment to Christ, you have practically rendered the gospel message meaningless. It doesn't matter if it's a cultural thing or a religious thing or even a biblical thing like circumcision. If there's any asterisk, any fine print, no fine print allowed to the gospel message, If there's any fine print in our minds, in our hearts, about how we stand in a right relationship with God, about how we get all the blessings that Christ wants to give us, if there's any fine print or asterisk, friends, we're no longer living as if Jesus said it is finished. We're no longer living as if grace were true. As Paul goes on to say here in in chapter 5, he says, For freedom, chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We're no longer able to live free. I think we're going to talk more about freedom in Christ next Sunday. But how, for how long in your Christian life have you lived it with, with a sense that something was hanging over you? You know what I'm talking about? Like I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know if I went to enough things or, or said it right or did the right words. I don't know if my... Something's hanging over me. I, I can't live free. Something's hanging over me. There's got to be something... I need to do something left to do. But Paul says here in verse 5, through the Spirit, by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. By faith, through the Spirit, we trust what Jesus Christ did for us. We trust His grace. That is living attached to Christ. That is enjoying Him. That is what is meant by running well. Right, The goal of our life in Christ is more Christ in our life. The goal of our life in Christ, running well, is more Christ in our life. So we need, Paul says, to trust them and their advice less so that we trust Jesus more. We need to turn away so that we turn to war. You know, we want to run, we want to live the Christian life well. We want to run well. How do we do that? How do we do that? And And what Paul is trying to convince the Galatians of in the book of Galatia is that in the gospel message, in the truths of what Jesus did for you, you have everything you need to run well. See, this is part of the good news of the gospel. Part of the good news of the good news is that this message contains all that we need, all the truth that we need. Tim Keller, who, who just passed away this week, he would say the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. He says it's the A to Z of the Christian life. See, so many of us think that, well, I, I learned about Jesus and the cross. and that, That's true. But over here's some more truth that you need. If you don't have this truth, you need to get this truth to live the Christian life well. So many of us say, well, the, the gospel is this light. But it's like a starter pack of light. And then, oh, hey, pastor, did you, I learned this. This is the illuminating thing. This is the thing that changed my life. Is it the gospel or is it something else? Where do we go for power? The gospel is the power to change our lives. But then how many of us come back and say, well, I believe the gospel, but this is what really gave me power. This, is, this person said, this is where powers really can be found. But it's all in the gospel. It's all in the message of Jesus Christ. We don't just believe that God's grace is nice and lovely, and sweet, and we like to sing about it. This is a practical group of people. We're not interested in just, you know, sweet, nice things. We want to know if it works. And what the message of the first book written in the New Testament is, is God's grace works. It works. Don't go nowhere else. Trust the gospel. The gospel is not just enough, friends. The gospel is everything. I don't know what uh, what commercials they show on, on children's programming, Saturday morning network television. I don't know if anybody watches that kind of stuff anymore. But when we were kids, when I was a kid, they were always trying to sell these children super sugary cereals while the parents are still sleeping, you know. And they would always try to sell it. What was the last thing they would say after the commercial, right? Part of a... Ba- yeah, part of a complete, part of a balanced breakfast, right? And they show this bowl of cereal, and then there's like a banana a glass of milk, bacon, toast, like a salad. You're like, you could put anything on that table and it would be part of a balanced breakfast, right? The gospel is a balanced breakfast buffet. It's a balanced breakfast buffet. It's everything we need. Everything we need is here and everything here we need. And the Galatians are walking into that with a mint they found on the sidewalk outside. Saying, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to suck on this while you guys enjoy all that Christ has done for you. The gospel is everything. And friends, this may be the most important thing I say. I'm going to say that more than once this morning. Uh, but here's why. It's because the gospel keeps us tethered to Christ You understand that the gospel, when we talk about what Jesus did for us and how we need him, the gospel keeps us, those truths keep us attached to Jesus, and Jesus keeps us moving. (laughs) The gospel keeps us attached to Jesus, tethered to Jesus, and Jesus keeps us moving. In the book uh, Into Thin Air, John Krakauer tells about how in the late 90s, early 2000s, the, the Mount Everest expedition scene was just blowing up. And you get all of these sort of weekend warrior hikers who would pay $50,000 and get helicoptered up to base camp of Mount Everest. And then they would would hang out in the lodge until they got acclimated to the elevation, you know, sipping awesome soups and and playing cards. And then they would go out and and try to pinnacle Mount Everest, and they would just hook them up to a couple Sherpas. These guys had no mountaineering experience, but it didn't matter because the Sherpas, the natives, the locals had all the experience they needed. And they would they would guide them slash drag them up, hold their hand to the top, snap a picture of them, hold their hand back down. This is we just need to stay attached to the Sherpa. Right? We just need to stay attached to Christ, and Jesus will take care of us. And that's what the gospel does. So we're here this morning. The Galatians, Paul knows, want more Christ in their life. We want to run well. So what do we need to do? We need to cut the carbs. We need to cut the carbs. So let's look at chapter four. Back to chapter 4, verse 16. I told you a couple weeks ago we we're going to bring this up again. We're going to start in chapter four, sixteen, then we'll jump back into chapter 5 to look at what this leaven, these people who act like a leavening influence, what they do. Chapter 4, verse 16. Have I then become your enemy, Paul says, by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. Have you, have you known people like that? Have you known relationships that had that kind of dynamic? You see somebody's flattering, using somebody else. Verse 18, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Let's stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery that these leavening agents are trying to bring us back into. And then skip down with me to verse 7. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. But I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. What do these, these leavening agents do? What How do they get us? How do they hinder us from running well? The first thing they do is they make it about you. Right? They make much of you. They make it about you so that you make it about them. But that's the first step. They make it about you. Their message is, what needs to happen, what God commands you have to do. Now, the whole time you've been thinking, oh, I need to do something. Jesus did all this for me. I know I need to do something. What do I need to do, God? And then they come along and they say, what needs to happen, you need to do. And you go, I knew it. I knew I, knew I was right, that I had to do something. And then they say, and what you have to do, you can do. And you say, I wondered, I thought I could do it. I thought I could please God on my own in my flesh. I thought I could do what was right and keep the law and check all the right boxes and get the blessings from God that I'm missing out on. I thought I could. And then they told me I, I can and I, I can. I knew it. And then we say, you are so smart. Thank you so much for telling me the things that I thought was true. We honor them. We make much of them because they've made much of us. And what, but we don't say it that way, right? We say, oh, they tell me, they tell me hard truths. Mm. They tell me how I need to obey. They tell me about our need for holiness. Mm, It's hard truth. I like that. They give me clear goals to achieve so that I can feel better about myself. Right? Who doesn't love checking boxes? I love it. I love crossing things off my list. I love checking those boxes. But here's what happens. They make it about you. They put the focus on you. Uh, The focus now is shifted. Who is it shifted from? Now it's on you and what you're doing and not on Jesus, right? So they elevate your focus on you. They elevate your attachment to them and they diminish your appreciation for what Jesus did. They diminish your sense of needing to stay attached and relying upon Jesus Christ. If you accept this, Paul says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. This might be the most important thing I say this morning. Those who make much of you and your abilities and your capabilities, those who make much of you are enemies of Christ in you. Those who make much of you are enemies of Christ in you. Early in my Christian life, I was taught, I was discipled to be suspicious of people who talked about grace too much. I was suspicious of people who talked about freedom too much, too much being really in it at all. You know, As soon as somebody talked about grace really at all, it was like, those guys, keep an eye on them. But after being in the ministry for a few decades now, even though that can be a problem, and Paul will address it in a minute, now I'm way more suspicious of people who start talking to me about how we need to obey. And how we need, need to be all holy and stuff and sacrifice. Which, I mean, if you know your Bibles, it's like, okay, yeah. But what do you mean by that? Why are we supposed to be obeying? How is that going to come about? You need to be really clear in answer to those questions for me. Because, you know, it was good, nice, church-going, law-keeping people... Who killed Jesus. Who killed Stephen and James and wreaked all the havoc that the early church endured. It was those guys who catalyzed Paul to write the book to the Galatian church. And they've been a problem for the church ever since. And yet most Christians, most of the time, are more worried about the risk of people misusing grace than we are about the risk of people living their Christian lives severed from grace. <laughs> So what do we need to do to run well? What do we need to run well? Cut the carbs. Cut the carbs, right? Again, this is not health and fitness advice. It's a metaphor. Cut the carbs. Meaning cast them out. Paul says this at the end of chapter 4, verse 30. He says, cast out those people who are trying to lead you back into slavery. Cast them out. Get rid of them. Look at, uh, look at chapter 5, verse 12. Did you notice this when Tony read this verse? I think probably everybody noticed this. What is that? A is he stutter? What translations he using? I wish that those who unsettle you would uh, emasculate themselves. I'm not going to go into uh, that. Uh, suffice to say, it's a crude image. Uh, commentators will say that this was suggested to Paul by the issue being that of circumcision, but but I think that there's two other things in this image. Two facts about eunuchs. None of these words will I define. Two facts about eunuchs. One is that they were separated from the fellowship in the Old Testament. They were separated from the gathering of worship of God's people. And the second thing is, of course, obviously, that they, uh, they're kept from spreading. Right? Because how, how does a little leaven end up leavening the whole lump? But it spreads. And Paul says you need to Separate them from your fellowship and you need to stop them from spreading. So friends, here's the application. Do not allow into your life influences, voices, messages, authors, channels, influencers. Do not allow into your life influences that offer you tools to measure your standing with God apart from Jesus Christ. Do not allow into your life influences that encourage you to assess your standing with God apart from Jesus Christ. I got an email from a friend a couple weeks ago uh, sharing some great encouragement to prayer and uh, a great list of good prayers. And for those of you who got that email too, I I talked to that person and and cleared this illustration. Uh, Because at the end of uh, this very helpful paragraph describing... great prayers and and the author said uh, these are prayers that God wants you to pray these are prayers that God wants to answer provided you pray with a pure heart and I thought holy smokes uh oh do I have a pure heart Do do I have a heart pure enough to get the answers from God that I want to my prayers do you as soon as, as soon as you put that on your radar, some of you know this, you've been in churches long enough to be, t- be asked, hey, is your, is your heart pure? And you go, oh, I hope it is. I don't know if it is. What do I need to do to get my heart purer? What do you need to do, friends? Hey, the gospel says that you have an, an Abba relationship with God. So you can talk to him about anything, anytime, any moment, and he hears you, and wants to answer like a father with his loving child. Be very careful about these. So let me give you what I believe is a, a helpful tool and assessment, a gospel assessment, to assess whether their influence is in your life. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 19. One last thing here. Paul says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. What is growing in you as a result of the time that you've spent with them? What is growing with you? Is is Christ's presence growing within you, in your spirit, in your mind, in your heart, in your life? Do you feel like you have stronger, clearer, more stable faith in Jesus? Is gratitude for Him and what He's done growing in you? A sense of security growing in you that, that... there's no condemnation for me. I know I made these mistakes. I know I did, did these dumb things, but, but I'm locked up with God because of what Jesus did. Is that growing in you? Is a sense of, of freedom to pray Abba-like prayers like we talked about a couple, weeks, a couple weeks ago? Is that growing in you because of their influence, or is there growing in your life more sin or a sense of shame, dirtiness, or a sense of pride and accomplishment, a sense of anger, a sense of worry, those are all indications of insecurity, instability, fragility, a sense of needing, a sense of lack. If those things are growing in you, it's not His baby. It's not Jesus's. It's not Christ in you. And something's going on in your life that needs to stop. A couple weeks ago when we touched on this passage at the end of chapter 4, verse 20, I pointed out that Paul says, I-, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. I'm perplexed about you. You have people in your life that you look at them and you say, I'm perplexed about them. I don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. Right? This is like Paul saying, I, I don't understand. Why are you still hanging out with those people? Right? They're They're in and out of jail all the time. And if you keep hanging out with them, they're going to take you to jail. You're not going to get out. Why are you hanging out with those people? All right, who's that for you? Who are those people, those influences in your life today? Who takes you to jail in your spirit? Who pulls your spirit and your heart and mind back into a sense of insecurity, need, and fear? And yet you continue to honor them with time and attention. I think what Paul would encourage all of us to do this morning is uh, unsubscribe. You might say, well, but they mean well. Who cares? Oh, but no, they, they do say some true things. Who cares? It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Do not submit again to that yoke of slavery. Cast them out. Friends, the goal of our life in Christ is what? More Christ in our life. The goal of our life in Christ is more Christ in our life because when there's more Christ in our life, friends, you know what? Here's the secret. There's more Christ in the world. There's more Christ in the world when there's more Christ in us. Why, why, why does Paul want the Galatians to run well? He, he's not talking about jogging for their health. You guys like to run? But, everybody, no, but every one of us thinks, well, I should probably jog. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about jogging. He's talking about running the race. Listen, in the ancient world, nobody jogged. You didn't see anybody in brightly colored, two short shorts. Out on a Sunday morning when they should be in church with a big thing on their wrist, checking it every 20 steps to see if they're done running yet, right? They didn't jog in the ancient world. you know why people jogged? Why they were running the race that was marked out for them? The most typical reason why people ran was to carry a message, to carry a very important, urgent message, news that people needed. That's why people ran their race well. Friends, Paul's writing Galatians, the Spirit's delivering this book to us this morning so that we would run well, so we would live free, so we would grow in grace and in Christ. Because, remember this, circumcision doesn't count, uncircumcision doesn't count, Democrat doesn't count, Republican doesn't count. The only thing that counts is new creation. The only thing that counts is the the light of our Lord shining in the face of Jesus Christ, through the love and faithfulness of His people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we want to run well. We want to live in the peace, in the joy, in the comfort, in the security of knowing ourselves attached to Christ all the time. To know that because we have been justified by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with You. And we have access through Him into this grace in which we stand. And while we want to live that way, and our hearts long to to live every day that way, there are so many voices and influences. So many people getting rich off of making us insecure. Gaining influence and notoriety through making Christians afraid and unstable and uncertain of that which Christ died to accomplish for them, for us, and to deliver to us. And so, Lord, if there is some voice and influence, something in our lives that needs to be removed, a little leaven, would you shine your light on that now? As we need to turn away from some things, every one of us, so that we can turn more wholly and completely To our Lord Jesus Christ. He who is our shepherd. Whose goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our lives. And who will lead us to the house of the Lord forever. In him we trust and in his name we pray. Amen.